Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. Saints, I am Dr. Kamala D, your host and teacher and founder of Learning Bible Truth. I know you heard in the intro, but however, I wanted to make sure you knew that this is not a guest speaker. And today is October the 23rd. It is a Saturday, and I hope this day finds you and your family well. We have reached episode, let's say part two, episode 12, because we are in the second half of this series. And um, we, we are going to start out in the book of Ruth. But before we do that, those of you who are listening for the first time, our foundational scripture, the lead scripture for this entire series, is found in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. It is Jesus talking to the un- unbelieving Pharisees and Sadducees who were criticizing him for healing someone on the Sabbath day. And Jesus basically was telling them that he is the Sabbath day. And if they knew the scriptures, they would know who he was. And he said in verse 39, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But it is they, they who the scriptures who testify of me. And verse 40, he says, but you will not come to me that you may have life. So we are finding Jesus in the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, also known as the Old Testament, because the New Testament had not been written when Jesus made that statement. So people didn't have those writings to verify. So they have to go through and go to the Old Testament. So that is what we are doing, saints. We are finding Jesus in the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. So uh, the book of Ruth, it is a love story. I want you to go to chapter three, and while you are listening, I, you know, we'll talk a little bit about it. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful love story that pictures our our salvation in Christ in many ways. Ruth was a Moabite; she was a Gentile who married uh, a son of Naomi, who was a Jewish woman who had gone with her husband and two sons into Moab to escape the ravages of famine in her own land. Now, Moabites uh, descended from Lot. And we all know that story about Lot uh, following his drunken tryst with his oldest daughter. And so the Moabites were a cursed Gentile people. But um, this story, the story of Ruth tells us the uh, forgiveness of God, the love of God, the grace and mercy of God. 
and how God, if you truly believed in him, even back then, even though the Jewish people were his chosen people, he accepted you. So um, I hope you are in Ruth chapter 3. I will begin reading at verse 7 through verse 9. So I am reading and I am using the NIV. If I choose to switch to another version, I'll let you guys know. But until then, um, I'm reading from the New International Version. Verse 7, when, Mo, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the, fair, at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. So what we are going to do is tie Jesus to being our kinsman redeemer. We are also in this episode going to hear about um, the lineage of, of Jesus, where he came from, leading up to uh, King David and the grace of God. Hallelujah. Now, the book of Ruth, um, as I mentioned before, it's, it's a wonderful love story. Now, um, Ruth coming from people that were cursed, uh, they were Gentile people that were cursed. You can find that in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. And the Mosaic law says, says that no Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants could enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. And I'm quite sure they far surpassed the 10th generation, so that curse was removed. But they were not allowed. And this was during the time they were cursed. But I, I want you to uh, listen to this story carefully, saints. Now, Ruth's husband, um, his name was Mulan, M-A-H-L-O-N, along with Naomi's other son and her husband, Elimelech, died in Moab. Now, rather than stay with her own people, Ruth followed Naomi back to Israel. And she told um, Naomi that where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. You can read that in Ruth chapter 1. Um, actually, verse 16. Now, for those of you who, who are not aware, I did a whole story on Ruth. I read the entire book of Ruth. And um, if you want to hear more about Ruth, and um, her story and Naomi's story about the death of her son and husband, you can uh, go through my podcast and look for the story of Ruth. And listen, it's a, it's a wonderful story. And you will find that Jesus uh, came through the lineage of Ruth and Boaz. Now, in Israel, Ruth began to glean from the fields of Boaz. Now, a member of Elimelech's clan, that's who Boaz was. He cared for her, and when the, uh, when the proper time came, Naomi is the one who guided Ruth to go lay at Boaz's feet in the scriptures that we, we read, the opening scriptures. However, before he uh, was free to marry Ruth and redeem Elimelech's property, Boaz, uh, he, he had to deal with a close relative of Elimelech. You know, and he does so, to make a long story short, very favorably, and the two ended up married. Now, the term kinsman redeemer is a uh, tautology. 
it describes exactly what um, Boaz relationship and role is to be. Now, first, he is to be of the same family, which is a kinsman. Like Boaz, Jesus is our close relative. He became part of the family of man. In Hebrews 2, uh, 17, it says this. Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Second, the kinsman redeemer's duty was to redeem his deceased relative's property and to marry his widow. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 5, it says, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. This is why um, Naomi chose Boaz because he was a, a, the closest relative uh, to her son. And so this is why she told Ruth to go lay at his feet. That was part of the rituals that they had to uh, perform. Now, um, the kinsman redeemer, first let me say this, in the, in, in, when I, let's, at the end of Deuteronomy uh, 25, uh, verse 5, uh, brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Now, in the same way, our great kinsman redeemer will marry his bride, the church, the body of Christ. And will one day redeem the earth from its curse. Because this earth is still cursed, saints. That's why you see all of this hate and killing. And, and people no longer understanding the difference between good and evil. They, they are no longer understanding the difference between right and wrong. They think wrong is right. They think right is wrong. I mean, all of that, if you would focus on it, it would drive you crazy. But I sometimes um, review this stuff so that I can mention it in some of my, my sermons or my teachings, but um, which is why we need a savior. The world, trust me, it, and I'm not gonna uh, digress too much, is definitely coming to an end. Now, the kinsman redeemer also bought uh, relatives their freedom who had been enslaved or incarcerated because of um, the debt they owed, but they couldn't pay it. Now, we too have been bought, bought out of slavery to Satan. And we were set free from the burden of the debt of sin through our Redeemer's blood and his blood alone. Now, Boaz married Ruth not because or just because of an obligation, but because he loved her. Now, in the same way, Christ loved the church, the body of Christ, and gave himself up for her in Ephesians 5.25. Now, our great kinsman Redeemer, he planned from all eternity to save his people from their sins. So also did Boaz. He, create, he created a plan to approach the, the closest relative and so that it could bring about his marriage to Ruth because he couldn't do it without following the laws of Moses. And that was a part of the law. He had to perform these things. Now, God provided a, a glorious destiny for Ruth in his household. Yes, because remember, she was a Moabite. She was not a Jew. But Boaz took Ruth to be his bride. And God had also provided a glorious destiny in heaven for his bride, the body of Christ, the church. Now, our God is the God of, of happy endings, not sad endings, saints. It's, he's a God of happy endings. Now, famine forced Naomi and her family into Moab, where her husband and two sons died. But out of this tragedy, 
God shaped a wonderful future for Naomi as, as she held in her arms Ruth's child, Obed. Oh yes, her son that was born of his close relative, Boaz. Now, he was to be the father of Jesse. Mm, now, y'all know where this is heading. Jesse is the father of, De of, of King David. Uh-huh. I know you didn't know that, saints. Now, all this took place in Bethlehem of Judah. Now, centuries later, another child, Jesus, would be born there, a, a, a descendant of the Kingsman Redeemer, Boaz and his bride, his, his, his Gentile Moabite, uh, Moabite bride, Ruth. Now, we are getting ready to get into uh, some things where I will read about how King David foreshadowed Jesus. Okay. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I, I ate a carrot before I started this and it feel like it's getting stuck in my throat. But 1 Samuel, go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And while you're doing that, I'm going to drink some water. Chapter 16, and I will be reading verses 12 and 13. So he sent and had him brought in. And we're talking about the prophet Nathan, not Samuel. He sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. We're talking about King David. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, um, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Let me correct it now. Uh, uh, I meant to say uh, Samuel, the prophet Samuel had brought David in. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about Nathan in a few minutes. I was getting them mixed up. Now, the New Testament begins with these words, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's in Matthew, starting at chapter one. Now, not only is our Lord foreshadowed by David's life, the great king of Israel is Jesus's forefather. Now, these following um, scriptures are part of what is called the Davidic covenant from 2 Samuel chapter 17, verses 11 through 16, which God spoke to David through the prophet Nathan. Okay, um, let me begin reading at verse 11. The Lord declared to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and your rest will with your fathers. I'm sorry, let me say that last part again. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers. Now right here, is talking about when David finally passed away and go to rest with his, his fathers in the bosom of Abraham. Because back then we had the bosom of Abraham because Jesus hadn't created heaven yet. It's a place called paradise and Catholicism teaches that it is purgatory. And that's not true. That's not true, saints. Purgatory doesn't exist. It never did exist. But in the bosom of Abraham is where they rest uh, back then because heaven had not been created yet. Okay. Um... Fathers, uh, let's see, will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from you, who will come from your own body. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, right here, when he, when God says, that I will raise up an offspring to succeed you. He will come from your own body. He's talking about King Solomon. 
the um, birth child of David and um, Bathsheba, okay? The Hittite, the black woman. I'm not going to stress too much on that. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, the reason that God chose uh, David's son Solomon to build his house at that time is because David had too much shed blood on his hands and God would not allow him to build his house. But he promised that he would allow his son, which was Solomon, to build his house. Now, trust me, God, God, God's ministers are not perfect. King David is, is, is the most famous king of, in history for Israel and Judah. But I'm here to tell you that um, they are not perfect, but David had a heart after God's own heart. And that when David did wrong, and that he did, and it, it was made aware to him that he did wrong, he was remorseful, he repented, and he would often fall on his knees, rip his clothes because he had did wrong or evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the type of person God is looking for, to hold themselves accountable. Now, right here, we are talking about Solomon where it says he is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, the throne of his kingdom will be established forever through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And the Bible goes on to say, and um, hold up, wait, I lost my spot. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That is Jesus who that torch was passed to. Okay, now I want you to um, understand that God speaks here of both David's son Solomon. That's why these scriptures have to be rightly divided. They didn't have the names there, but you need to know who, we, who the Bible is talking about. David's son Solomon, who would build his kingdom. And of his greater son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whose throne will be established forever. Now, Christ is the son of David, and yet he is David's Lord. Remember when Jesus mentioned that in Matthew 22, 41 through 46, where Jesus said, what well, you know, even David said, my Lord said to my Lord, sit thy here at my right hand. How did David, David know about Jesus? Absolutely, because God spoke to him about it. He knew about the coming of the Messiah. And David was a believer back then, saved by grace. Because under the law, whether it was the Abrahamic law or the Mosaic law, nobody was saved. Nobody. That law was there to keep order. Just to keep order until the Messiah came. It was not meant to save anybody. So I'm not sure why people trying to uh, keep the law. You know, even to, till this day, people are trying to keep the law. And uh, the law, under the law, there's condemnation. There's death under the law. Under grace, there isn't. Because David would have been dead. Uh -huh. David would have been killed by God. But I don't want to uh, stray away too much. Now David's uh, foreshadowing of Jesus began shortly after David was anointed king um, in our opening scriptures. Now of uh, 1 Samuel verse 16 that we, re that we read. It wasn't the opening scriptures but 1 Samuel uh, verse 16. Um, once again Israel was at war with the Philistines. Now, on the field of battle, a nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath, we all know the story of David and Goliath, he challenged the Israelites to send, <coughs> to send out a man to fight him. 
Goliath boasted that the winner of the match would decide the battle for the for um, both of the armies. Let me drink a little water, Saints. Now, the young David, he was visiting um, the battle site while he was bringing food for his older brothers. And he heard the challenge and talked to King Saul and actually talked him into letting him fight, you know, the big old monster Goliath. So in 1 Samuel 17, 40, the Bible says, Then David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now, as he approached Goliath, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and spear and the javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. That little young boy knew about God back then. And David was a young boy. Yes, he was. He was about 19, if I'm not mistaken, my study show. Now the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. That's what David said. That's in uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. Oh, my goodness. It's just thinking about just knowing who God is and how... Our forefathers knew who, who God was, the God of Israel, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God and father of our Lord and Savior, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Now, after uh, David had uh, shot one of those stones into the forehead of Goliath, it was embedded there. You know, Goliath couldn't do nothing but slump over and fall to the ground. Now, the Philistine army then turned and ran. So Goliath foreshadows the, the Antichrist, Satan, who also defies the army of the Lord. The little stone in Goliath's head calls uh, to mind the name that Jesus gave to Simon, uh, son of Jonah, whose name was Cephas. Uh, Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means little stone in Matthew 16, verse 18. But the one who saved the day and slew the enemy was David. Now the forefather and foreshadower of the victorious one to come who had defeated Satan. David was a shepherd and he wrote about uh, the Messiah who is our great shepherd in Psalms 23. Now he also wrote many distinct messianic prophecies in the Psalms. Now some of which we will see later on in, the, in this series. Now as a shepherd, David killed lions when they threatened his sheep. So Jesus also protects those in his care. Not one of his sheep will be lost, he said in Matthew 18, verse 13 and 14. Now, David was pursued and persecuted by a jealous king named Saul. Now, while Jesus was uh, pursued and persecuted by leaders of Israel in his day, David endured the wilderness of Israel just as Jesus did centuries later. Jesus said, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's in Matthew 10, 34. Now, when Jesus made that statement, let me rightly divide. He was talking about in the household, the same household. When he said, I have not come to bring peace to earth. Um, he's talking about everybody was not going to agree uh, about him being the only savior, about him being the Messiah. Because of all these different religions out here, they had religions back then. They were idol religions, people worshiping statues. Everybody looking for a purpose. Everybody looking for a reason, you know, and it makes people feel better if they can see something tangible. And, you know, Jesus said, you know, blessed is the man who believes and have not seen. 
But we have people that's not going to believe unless they see something. You know, that's why it's important that we rightly divide these scriptures and let people know who Jesus is. Now, uh, Jesus divides families and communities based on belief systems. Now, it is because of the gospel, preaching the gospel. Boy, I tell you, David drew a physical sword in his day, protecting the people of God from their enemies. King David ruled the people in justice and equity. Just as Jesus, King Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he rules from his throne in heaven. Now, while David's rule over Israel was only temporary, Jesus will rule his people in, in truth and mercy for all eternity. Now, let's talk about Jesus being our friend of friends. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Now, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Um, I kind of paraphrased through there, but if you are reading those scriptures, you can see where I was and you can understand what I was saying. Now, the friendship between Jonathan and David is the closest and most devoted in all God's word. Now, somebody might think of uh, this being an exemplary friendships of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, or between Mary and her cousin, Elizabeth, John the Baptizer's mother. But this friendship far exceeds those in, in um, its important ways. Now, Jonathan was King Saul's son, and he was the heir to the throne of Israel because of his father, being the son of, uh, of uh, King Saul. Now, throughout the Bible, we see the uh, envy of kings and princesses uh, against anyone who might be the slightest threat to their their reign. And, and it can call us back to the presidency of the United States, willing to kill for that throne. Now, Elimelech in Judges uh, verses 9, verse 5, um, he murdered his 70 brothers just before receiving his throne. 70. Unbelievable. In 2 Kings 10, 7, followers of King Ju uh, of Jehu, he slaughtered 70 princes of Ahab's family. Now, we read of, of Herod and his jealous rage when he heard of a, a king being born in Bethlehem. But Jonathan is different. Not only does he befriend the man whom his father envies and will seek to murder throughout First and Second Samuel, Jonathan loved David and he loved him as himself. Now, in Leviticus 19, 18, God gave this commandment. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus reinforced the absolute primacy of this decree over all of the rest of the law regarding earthly relationships. Now, Jonathan's love for David reflects obedience to this commandment like no other except the Lord Jesus himself. Now, notice that he becomes one in spirit with David and makes a covenant with him. Now, their friendship is not based on what have you done for me lately. Instead, it is based on a solemn oath of covenant of loyalty. Now, I believe that Jonathan knew that salvation of Israel will or would come through David's kingly line. 
I, I truly believe that. He foreknew this. Now, in order for that to happen, Jonathan had to get out of the way. Now, notice that he gives David his robe. A prince's robe speaks of his claim upon the throne. Now, he gives David his right to be king. Then he gives David his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, in ancient times, the surrender of the sword usually meant death for the surrendering king. Now, Jonathan hands over not only the throne, but his very life, knowing that his covenant with David would probably mean his own death. He is willing to die that his, 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 his friend might ascend to the throne. Jonathan, I can tell you this, he was nothing like his father. Now, to love someone as yourself, you must stake your own joy in the joy of the loved one. Now, when our Savior came to this earth, he gave up his throne in heaven. He also was willing to die so that his church, the body of Christ, might find joy. Now, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, he says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, let me say that again, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death of the cross. My Lord, Jesus and Moses were the two most humble human beings to walk this earth. When Jesus walked this earth in the, in the flesh, he was considered human because he had on fleshly by a fleshly body that he got from his mother Mary, who is a descendant of Boaz and Ruth, the Moabite Gentile. Okay, I'll, I'll let that sink in for a while. Now, in the same way that Jonathan makes a covenant with David, Jesus makes a covenant with his friends, us, the body of Christ, his church. His is an eternal covenant that will make his friends to be kings ruling with him forever. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, I want you to, to imagine that the king of this universe loves you and me as himself and was willing to come to earth, put on flesh as a servant being the very full spirit, 100% of God in spirit. He put on flesh and he was willing to come to earth as a servant and die for us. Now the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has become our friend of friends forever. Now us mere humans, we want to be king, don't we? Now we want to sit on the throne of our own lives. But like Jonathan, we need to get out of the way. Yes, we do. We have to forsake our own throne, our own life, and follow Christ. Now, unlike Saul, who sought foolishly to hang on to his kingdom, Jonathan shows us that not only um, the only way to be a true king and servant of the people, he had to relinquish his own throne. And so we need to relinquish our throne to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we are getting ready to get into some deeper stuff, saints. We're going deeper and deeper. We are getting ready to talk about how Elijah and Elisha, Elijah's um, disciple, 
foreshadowed the coming of the Lord Jesus. Go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 17. For the sake of time, I'm going to read. I will be reading verses 17 through 22. Now, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He, uh, he grew worse and worse, her son, and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow? I am staying with by causing her son to die. Verse 21. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy, boy's life return to him. Verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. See, God was healing back then. But I want you to uh, pay attention to what uh, Elijah did. He cried out to the Lord, but he stretched out over the boy too. Now that's what uh, the method was that Elijah used back then. We shouldn't be doing that today. We could seriously injure, uh, injure someone. Let me slow down. Now God had, uh, or God had ordained Elijah the Tishbite, as a prophet. Elijah lived during the reign of one of the most infamous kings in Israel's history, Ahab, and his villainous wife, Jezebel. And I'll be doing a, a little short uh, message about Jezebel when we uh, finish this, this series. Hallelujah, finding Jesus in the scriptures. Now, like Jesus, whom he foreshadowed, Elijah was a prophet strong in word and in deed. He performed amazing miracles like uh, the one we just read. Now, as he raised the widow's son from the, from the dead, Jesus would perform this miracle three times in the Gospels, ending with the raising of Lazarus in um, John chapter 11, verses 43 through 44. Ahab and Jezebel remind us of Herod and his wicked queen Herodias of Jesus' time. Now, just as Elijah was pursued and persecuted by the brutal monarchs of his, of his day. So was Jesus forced to flee to Egypt with his parents under Herod's death threat. Now, angels had warned Elijah, hiding in Sinai, and Jesus's family hiding in Egypt to flee. 1 Kings 18, chapter 5 through 8, you can cross-reference with Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Now, Elijah spoke and the rain in Israel had ceased. That's in 1 Kings chapter 17. Write these scriptures down so you can read and study these uh, events. In the same way, Jesus exhibited amazing control over the elements of nature as he changed the water into wine we talked about in another episode at a wedding in Cana. That's in John chapter 2. Jesus walked on water. He walked on the Sea of Galilee. And that's in Matthew chapter 14, uh, beginning at verse 25. And he calmed a ferocious storm in Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 24. Now, Elijah also showed miraculous power dealing with storms. You can read that in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 43. Now, both Elijah and Jesus revealed God's sovereign power over the natural world that God created. Now, another similarity in Elijah's and Jesus's control over the natural world 
uh, lay in their ability to miraculously multiply food to satisfy the hungry. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 12 and 14, we read this conversation between Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. She replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the, on the land. There was a great famine going on, saints. Now, it happened just as Elijah said it would. Now, in a more open and much, much larger way, Jesus turned five loaves and, and two fish into a meal that satisfied the hunger of 5,000 men and twice that number of, of women and children. And you can read about that if you don't know where it is in Matthew chapter 14. Now, they also had 12 baskets full of leftovers, you know, that, that were gathered after over 5,000 people had eaten. Now, on another occasion, our Lord fed 4,000 men plus women and children with just a few loaves of fish. That's in Matthew chapter 15, uh, beginning at verse 32. Now, both Jesus and Elijah demonstrated great power against the false prophets and teachers of the day. Because they're claiming to be men and God and speaking from God, but yet they had no power with them. Now, the, the God of the heavens and the earth, if he don't have power, and if their true divine representatives is not able to show you power like healing, not doing evil, because if you notice, they weren't doing evil, Elijah or Jesus, Jesus went about doing good, healing those who were sick and oppressed by the devil. Elijah was healing people and feeding the hungry, not making them starve, not saying you need to go get a job. You, you, you know what? We don't handle business giving you free tax money uh, through food stamps. You go and get a job. No, you they didn't ask questions. If you were hungry, you were fed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Elijah brought down fire from heaven to burn up the Lord's sacrifice when Baal failed to show up for his priest. Now, Jesus caused false evil spirits to come out of, of those men and women they had inhabited and was able to read the minds of the false teachers, the scribes and the Pharisees who regularly got on Jesus's nerve. Now, because he always told them what they were thinking. Now, who you know can do that? Now, I can, you know, sometimes tell people what they're thinking because I read body language, but that's not what Jesus did. Jesus knew what was going on in your mind. Only God can do that. Now, finally, both Elijah and Jesus were taken up into heaven bodily. Elijah went up in a whirlwind in, in view of Elisha, his disciple. That's in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, God didn't allow Elijah to die like, like a regular men. Elijah was walking and God just took him straight up in a whirlwind, you know. And, and, and um, our Lord Jesus ascended into heaven in full view of his disciples. Um, that's in Acts chapter one. You can read uh, beginning at chapter one, how God took up uh, Jesus in front of his, di his disciples. And um, who else did that? Who else can say this? And this is not an allegory. These events actually took place because Jesus mentioned them. His apostles mentioned them. That's how you can verify scripture. 
from the Old Testament in Hebrew, when the disciples and Jesus mentioned scriptures, they are true. You best believe it. Now let's talk about um, Elijah's disciple, or shall I say protege, protege. His name is Elisha. That's in 1 Kings chapter 16. Uh, or let me say, let's read uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. Verses 32 through 36. Now, when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying, down, lying dead in his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy. Mouth, he laid upon the boy mouth to mouth. Let me start paraphrasing through here because I want you to kind of understand what's happening. His eyes were facing this boy's eyes. And his hands were on this boy's hands. He just stretched uh, straight out, laid flat on this boy. Now, as he stretched himself out upon him, the boy, the boy's body grew warm. Now, Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out upon that boy once again. Now, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned uh, Gehazi. And said, call the Shulamite. The Shulamite was this boy's mother. And he did. Now when she came, he said, take your son. Now write down 2 Kings chapter 4 verses 32 through 36. Uh, start off reading verse 30 so that you can read about this event. Now Elisha, uh, who was Elijah's protege, also prefigured the Lord Jesus Christ. He was given a double portion of Elijah's spirit. That's why e Elisha actually performed greater miracles than Elijah. Elisha confirmed the gift as he, as he struck the Jordan with uh, Elijah's cloak and the waters piled up on the right and on the left. He then crossed over on dry ground. That's in 2 Kings chapter 2 verses 9 through 14. Now the parallels between Elisha and Elijah are striking. Now, although Elisha's many acts seemed even more miraculous, like Elijah and Jesus, the one to whom they both pointed, Elisha showed God-given power over natural laws. Hallelujah. In 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, I, I don't want you, you don't have to go there. I, I'm not going there. I just, I, I'm going to paraphrase through here. Elisha miraculously increased the olive oil supply of a widow until there was enough to pay her debt. Uh-huh. His thoughtful consideration of her need and the miraculous way in which he opened his ministry cannot be, uh, or uh, it cannot be compared to nothing else except it reminds me of Jesus's uh, miracle at Cana where he turned mere water into fine wine. And we, uh, we talked about that already in a previous episode. Now later in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, verses 42 through 44, Elisha multiplied 20 loaves of barley bread and some grain to feed 100 men. Like the meals by which Jesus would later feed thousands, food was left over after everyone was full. Now Jesus went around healing the sick. And I talked about this a few seconds ago. He healed the blind and the lame. In the same way, Elisha cleansed the leper, Naaman, of his disease in 2 Kings chapter 5. Elisha also cleansed the spring at, at Jericho in 2 Kings chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. On another occasion, Elisha miraculously purified a poisonous stew. 
That's in 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 38. You need to read this. He enabled the Shunammite woman to conceive even though her husband was old. That's in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Now, it's not actually written, but when you rightly divide, God gives his ministers and teachers revelation. But just like the Bible said that Abraham and Sarah would have a child, I believe the Shunammite woman um, conceived. Uh, it was a miraculous pregnancy. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what I believe. You know, just like um, Sarah just like Hannah and just like Mary. And, but however, later the child died. Now we have the story in, the, in, in our subject verses, like Elijah before him and Jesus who followed, Elisha raised the dead child to life. Now amazingly, the Bible also records the story of a man being raised to life, you know, merely by touching the dead bones of Elisha. That's in 2 Kings uh, 13 and 21. Now, what happened was they were, uh, the men were frightened by some raiders from Moab. Now, some Israelites who were burying a man suddenly threw his body into an Elisha's tombstone. The dead man came to life and, and stood on his feet after his bones touched Elisha's bones. That's how powerful Elisha was. Now, Jesus would later uh, prophesy about many future events. Now, for instance... He foretold the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in Matthew 24. Our Lord also spoke of his own death and resurrection in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Now, in like manner, Elisha foretold future events, events which actually occurred during his lifetime or, or shortly thereafter. For instance, in 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 17 through 20, Elisha predicted that water would fill the land even though the people would see neither wind nor rain. Now, in the same chapter, chapter 3, Elisha pre predicted that Joram, who was the son of Ahab, would defeat Moab. Now, it happened just as he said it would. In 2 uh, Kings chapter 7, verses 1 through 2, Elisha predicted the end of the Aramean, of the Aramean siege that had choked the city of Samaria. Now, later, his accurate pictures of future events foresaw that Hosea would become king of Aram in 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 7 through 15, that Jehu would destroy the house of Ahab, 2 Kings 9, 7, and that dogs would eat the body of Jezebel at Jezreel. That's in 2 Kings 9, 10. All of that was predicted. Hallelujah. And it came to pass. It was prophesied. Now, of course, one of the things that the Old Testament prophets of God did was to foretell future events. They also revealed the word of God to the people. Now, our Lord is the greatest prophet ever to walk this earth, who revealed God as no other prophet before him. Yet all of the prophets spoke of Jesus in their words and in their actions. Later on in this series, we will have the opportunity to see many of their predictions come true in the life of one solitary man, Jesus the Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, saints. Now, I, I do want to stop right here uh, because I do have uh, somewhere I have to go today. 
and I got to prepare for it. And I'm here to tell you, saints, that uh, when I talked about um, earlier about how evil and cursed this world is, let me tell y'all something. Salvation is today. Tomorrow is not promised to us, neither one of us. And if death catches up with you before you catch up with Jesus or he catches up with your heart, saints, that your ending will not be good. So for those of you who are listening under the sound of my voice, it doesn't matter what religion you come from. God has made the ground leveled at the cross. All man can come to Christ and be saved. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 10 and you can read 11. It says, If thy shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shall be saved. That's it, saints. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to perform any rituals. If you confess with your mouth right now that I know Jesus is Lord, Heavenly Father. I know that he is alive right now and seated at your right hand. And because of that, I know that he is the Christ. He is your son and you are the living God. Saints, you are saved. You are saved. And I suggest that after you make that declaration, you find a faith-based teaching church. Continue to listen to Learning Bible Truth where you will grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's grace. And what I want you to do, saints, is um, when you join a faith-based teaching church, tell them you have already accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and you know that he is seated at God's right hand. Therefore, you believe he is alive, that you want to be baptized. You need to follow Christ in water baptism. Water baptism is symbolic to the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to renew your mind with the word of God. That is the only way that God's word can cleanse you from all unrighteousness is by allowing his word to go into your spirit and watch how you become a better person. If you knew me before I met Jesus over 30 years ago, you, you wouldn't believe the person I am today. And it's all because of Christ. It's, it, it has nothing to do with me. Nothing at all. It's all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, saints, I will try to share episode 13 tomorrow. Yes. And until next time, saints, I want you to walk in love, grow in faith, grow in grace, treat everyone with dignity and respect, and peace out. enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. I should note 
that you must be a follower of my show to submit a voice message. So don't forget to click the follow button. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated and used to help further the gospel. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. English Standard Version. Please sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart because God loves a cheerful giver. Now until next time, my sisters and brothers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. And remember, continue to walk with Jesus. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.